Pray with me. Lord, you have given us a spirit of truth. You have promised to be with us and to be in us for all of our lives and for all of our struggles here as we push on to eternity. Help us, Lord, to see through this spirit, to gaze upon you and to know your love and to do your will. Amen. Well, good morning, all. I missed you last week. I was, uh, I was away with FCA, but sincerely, I missed being here, and I thought of you and prayed for you um, as I was out there. Um, for those of you who don't know, uh, I recently started working with Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and part of my job has me going to summer camps uh, every now and again. So this particular one was over a weekend, and I was with think close to a hundred college athletes, um, and I don't know if they're more exhausting than normal people at camp, but maybe I'm just getting older. Either way, uh, it, was, it was a wonderful weekend and a long weekend, um, but it was a distinct pleasure because there I got to be knee-to-knee with a handful of guys. I was, I was essentially a counselor, but you know, with FCA we have to make everything sports metaphors. So I was a huddle leader, um, which I would have never had the privilege to be on a football team. Um, just Justin, he, he'll say, "Yeah, my, my hands were too small." That's all. That's all. Uh, but uh, no, uh, I had the privilege to meet with them. And to hear what they're struggling with and to see their passion. We have athletes out there on these college teams that are ambassadors for the gospel. They are hungry to know the Lord more and to make him known. And they have real struggles as they're fighting to, to do that on their team. But they are fighting that fight. You know, rejoice in that. We, we have brothers and sisters out there in the midst of, you know, as worldly a thing as sports, and they are fighting. Um, and so I just wanted to encourage you with that, uh, with that message. But I don't bring it up just to talk to you about um, the fun that I had in discipling a group of young men, but something else happened at camp that is uh, very relevant to this morning. And that is I got to help uh, with probably 15 baptisms there while we were at camp. Um, out at the northernmost part of the Chesapeake Bay, we, uh, we, got to, we got to Duncan, some young athletes who wanted to uh, move forward in their walk with the Lord and, um, and be baptized. So, uh, since today is Pentecost, where baptism in the Holy Spirit was initiated and the church was born, and we are so lucky as to have two baptisms uh, today within our own congregation, 
I figured, what better to talk about than the joy that we get in baptism. So, we will get to John. Don't you worry. There are things there that we need to address, and uh, he will encourage us uh, through the words of Jesus. But first, let's set the stage with baptism. When John the baptizer came baptizing, it was for repentance and cleansing of sins. When the people came down to him, they were coming to make public their commitment to the righteous ways of Yahweh. There was obviously no death and resurrection yet to be had. No solidarity with Jesus, Son of God. Yet, it was a powerful testimony in its own right. John would not have drawn crowds if there was not really something significant about confessing for sins and claiming a clean slate. I imagine that the intense moralism of the Pharisees made waiting in the water that much more refreshing for the average Jew of Jerusalem. Racked with guilt for lack of love and grace. Perhaps there's something relatable in our own culture. John's baptism, though, was a salve. A much-needed dose of aspirin to reduce the irritation, to reduce the symptoms. But it was not, of course, the cure. For the cure, we had to wait for Pentecost. John the baptizer said so himself, claiming, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. What John is saying is that we need more than repentance. We need rebirth. We need a totally new life. This is what we see at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit falls on the apostles, and they have tongues of fire dancing over their heads as the Spirit makes each one of them a new person in Christ. This was not just a profession of their faith, though we certainly see that in Peter's sermon. It was the beginning of the Holy Spirit's work in the church as the body of Christ at work in the world. It is the sanctifying spirit, bringing each believer to conformity with Jesus by his divine power. This Holy Spirit baptism is the cure, a cure for our sin nature, not a treatment for the sins we've committed. It is the very life of God making alive our dead, dry bones. This is what I got to assist in last Sunday as I dunked college athletes into the Chesapeake. This is what we are all about to participate in this morning. New life from the Spirit given at the gracious will of the Father 
on account of the perfection of Jesus, Son of God and man. Y'all, this is good news. I'll say it again. Baptism brings us through the death of our sin nature into new life from the Spirit, given at the gracious will of the Father on account of the perfection of Jesus, Son of God and man. If you have been baptized, you should marvel at the magnitude of this gracious gift. However, in speaking about what baptism is, I should also remind you what it is not. Baptism is not graduation. We do not baptize because believers, after rigorous testing in Scripture or training in systematic theology and doctrine, though I am sure both Bo and Dean would excel in these categories just as much as my college athletes, known for their test scores, would as well. Um, It is not the culmination of training. Part of our hope in baptism is an admission that we can never know Scripture rightly, nor understand any doctrine without the help of the Holy Spirit. As such, we do not expect perfect knowledge before baptism as a qualification. No. Neither do we expect perfect knowledge or behavior after baptism. My apologies. I'm sorry. I know you were hoping for that. No. All who are baptized, whether as infants or well-informed consenting adults, They go on sinning, yet they are no longer sinners. They are claimed. Now, some will even neglect this new life and let it die out. Yet, for those who embrace this new life of the Spirit, whose churches and families help them nourish it, they will have power far beyond themselves to resist temptations and to fight for the glorious kingdom of God here on earth. So then, baptism is neither the product nor the promise of perfection on this side of glory, but it is an invitation to have that Holy Spirit fire constantly kindling our hearts toward loving God and loving our neighbor. This is where our gospel passage for today comes in and helps to shed some light on what this access to the Spirit will do for us as believers. I will, very briefly, mention four aspects of the Spirit's work in us. The first is that the Spirit helps us to see. Right there, At the beginning of our verses today, we have a prime example of what it looks like to not see. Philip asked Jesus to show them, the disciples, the Father. Missed it. But, while it's easy to dog Philip, or in other places, Thomas or Peter, the reality is... They had not yet received the aid of the Spirit to reveal truth. 
In, other, in the words of verse 17, they need the helper, the very spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. Like the disciples, we count on the Spirit to reveal Jesus to us as Lord and to stir up affection in our hearts for him. We do not do that on our own. All of this is part of seeing in the Spirit rather than looking with the eyes of the world. The second thing the Spirit does, that's two, not a peace sign, but I do wish peace to you. The second thing the Spirit does is it helps us to do great works. All throughout the Elder Testament, Yahweh was known as the wonder-working God. He did strange and powerful things for the good of his people. Jesus makes it clear here that the Spirit will carry these great works out through us now. This is what he means when he says that we will do even greater works than him. No, we're not likely to raise the dead. And I have not seen thousands fed with a couple loaves. And yet, I have seen him move. By the Spirit, William Wilberforce battled with the demonic institution of slavery and won it for God's glory. By the Spirit, Eric Little ran faster than any other man alive, racing to feel God's pleasure and to make him known as a missionary. By the Spirit, Mother Teresa was a guide for thousands of people as they approached the gates of eternity, giving them peace, letting them know who their shepherd was with patience and resolve despite sickness and fear. Is he not still at work? Is he not at work in you? In your marriage, at your job, with your children? If you look with the eyes of the Spirit, I bet you can see those wonders at work, flowing through you. All right, third thing. I promise we're almost there. It's like I can hear the words of Jesus to Judas, whatever you are about to do, do quickly, though I hope my circumstances are different. In verse 14, Jesus says, that if we ask anything in his name, then he will surely do it. All I really want to say to you about this is that it is not some rubric for turning Jesus into genie. Okay? Even when we ask for things that we believe to be good for the kingdom, that is not the point. I have a dear friend, and many of you know this about me, they used to do sports ministry with me. And when I was a junior in college, he wrecked his dirt bike, he broke his back, and he has been paralyzed from the chest down since. Now only God knows, and I know that he knows, how many times I have prayed that my friend would be restored. 
that he'd get back out there in the neighborhood with those kids and put up horrible hook shots for the sake of the kingdom. But that was not God's will. And for all of my praying and all of my hoping and how I see it works for the kingdom of God, that doesn't make it so. God has done other things in his life that have been beautiful and redemptive. We won't get all the answers to prayer that we want by praying in Jesus' name. We only pray in Jesus' name when we are looking through the Spirit and he is conforming us to the will of the Father according to the work of Christ. That's what it means to pray in Jesus' name. It doesn't get you what you want. It makes you want what he wants and allows you to see his victory. Which brings me to my fourth and final point. The name that Jesus gives us for the Spirit here in John is unique. Many of you have probably heard the term paraclete in other sermons by smarter people. But this is a complicated and complex word for a complicated and complex God. The paraclete can mean the comforter, the helper, the advocate. But the sense that is conveyed here is that the Holy Spirit surrounds us like a warm blanket and helps to move us throughout this fallen world, guiding us in the paths of God when we can't understand, when we cannot yet see what God's will is, there is the Spirit to comfort us, to guide us, to help us have strength, and to be an advocate for us, interceding for us in ways that we cannot intercede for ourselves, prayers that we cannot even pray for ourselves. That is what the Spirit does for us. And this is what Jesus said awaited us on Pentecost. New sight, God's work, God's will, and God's comfort as we deal with the uncertainty of this fallen world. In short, Pentecost is an awesome day for my brothers Bo and Dean to get baptized. And I hope you are all drawn in to worship God as you witness this amazing thing that is about to happen right before us. I, for one, am even more excited about these baptisms because that's part of the joy of us in the body is that we will get to witness what the Spirit does in the lives of these young men and we will get to pray for them and see how that bears fruit. So keep those Spirit-open eyes peeled for what God is doing these young men and all around you. Amen.